This is Warrior Talk, your information and inspirational business podcast from the community of entrepreneurs at freeenterprisewarriors.com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Matt Hayes. And I'm Dave Jenks. Mr. Jenks, you wanted to share some of your thoughts with us today about dealing with addiction. Now, most of the time when we have these conversations on the podcast, we talk about business topics, politics, and we know from your experience in business and the political world, just dealing with different levels, that you have the experience and you're knowledgeable in this. Why do you feel you're qualified, though, to talk about addiction with us? Because I'm an addict, and it'll come as a surprise to many people uh, who know me. The other thing I would say, Matt, is before I get into that personal side of this, is that in my experience, when you run businesses and you deal with people, there's a lot of afflictions, a lot of things they deal with that impact how they're doing on their job and being aware of uh, the addictive personality and the, and the behavior of people who are have various kinds of addictions and being able to reach out to them and genuinely help them solve and overcome and deal with that addiction, make them become dedicated and loyal and productive uh, employees or, or friends, you know, because sometimes this happens with family too. So I don't think that this topic is irrelevant to entrepreneurs in the world of business because it's amazing how many people deal with this issue of addiction. Now, for me, I had to overcome my addiction to smoking, to nicotine. I did that. I had to overcome my addiction to alcohol. And I'll talk a little bit more in detail about that. I went through the 12-step program. It was critical for me. It changed my life. It was so important to overcome that personal addiction. And ultimately, most recently, I overcame my addiction to bad eating habits, which is kind of that more, let's say, in the range of the normal. We tend to think of substance abuse as being very kind of specialized. Oh, there's a few people that are addicts or are alcoholics, but then the rest of us are kind of normals. But the truth is, in our culture, overeating is its own addiction. And we have lots of things that support that and challenging it. I would just as my own experience of it in many ways, Matt, for me, challenging my my addiction to food and my addiction to high caloric, high glycemic foods that caused me to gain and retain weight was probably as difficult for me in a way as ending my addiction to alcohol, because in the alcohol addiction, you at least you kind of have a cutoff. You say no more. You can't say that to food because you got to still live, so you're going to keep going on. So we'll, that's a little different, but it's still overcoming an addiction. So I think one of the things, I'm not an expert, and I don't work in the field of helping people with addictions. It's not my uh, expertise, uh, but it is my personal experience, and I thought it might be worthwhile in this podcast, Matt, uh, to talk about my own experience as an alcoholic. For most people I know that have come out and admitted that, there's almost a, a, a moment when they realize this, that they had a problem and were addicted to alcohol. Did you have that type of aha moment in your life? See, I'm like a lot of addicts. I'm fooling myself as well as the world. I was even a more sly alcoholic because I was a functional alcoholic. Some alcoholics are just, you know, they just get knocked down, drag out, drunk. They pass out. They get DUIs. They sometimes get put in jail. They lose jobs. They don't show up at work. They show up at work drunk. I mean, there's all of these kind of things. But see, I was slipperier than that. I was sly. I knew there was a line. And so I didn't drink in the morning and I didn't show up drunk and I didn't drink at lunchtime and all that. I just used alcohol in the evenings and on weekends to medicate myself. But my life wrapped around that. So I was fooling myself. I really was. And it was a good friend of mine. 
she knew there were things I was seeking for. There was some void in my life. And she kind of knew that. We talked about it. I was at least willing enough to admit there was this void. And she put me to this, quote, counselor who was going to help me with this void. And I went to that counselor and the counselor said, okay, I might work with you, Dave. I can see. And by the way, in my first conversation with her, she asked me a couple of questions. And as I was answering her, I started crying. So clearly she was touching me. And I knew that. She said, I will work with you, but but before we have our next session, I want you to go to three AA meetings. <laughs> and I looked at her and went, hey, what? You think I'm an alcoholic? And she went, I don't know what you are. But before we work together and as a condition of our working together, you're going to go to three AA meetings. So I went to my first AA meeting and uh, this little 18-year-old guy who was leading the meeting asked me to read something. And I kind of tried to brush him off and say, oh, I'm just here to observe. But he said, read it. And I read this thing in, in AA. They call it the promises. This is what will happen if you follow this process. And I read that's two paragraphs. I read that to myself because I was preparing to read it when the group got finally gathered. And the tears just started streaming down my cheeks because I knew that's what was missing in my life. And that's what I needed. And alcohol was in the way. So I didn't admit it at that meeting. That meeting, I just, I said, I'm Dave. I'm here at the meeting. And, you know, I read what I was supposed to read. But the second meeting I went to, I stood up and said, I'm Dave. I'm an alcoholic. Because I knew I was. I knew I was using alcohol to medicate myself, to get rid of my angst, and to help me keep pretending that I was leading a full life uh, when I wasn't, Matt. And so I then went and, you know, followed the 12 steps. And wow, it's just, I mean, I haven't had another drink since December 19th, 1999. And when I go to a party and people say, would you like something to drink? And I go, nah, I'll tell you what, you got Diet Coke or water or something. They go, oh, what? Don't you drink? My answer is this. And I developed it early on because it started to – people who knew me as a drinker, when I would go to a, me, a place and I, I would not drink, they go, hey, what's that? You stopped drinking? My answer was this. Oh, tell you what. I, I reached my lifetime limit. <laughs> I love that. They go, what? I went, yeah, I reached this my lifetime limit. I found out that my limit and I cannot have another drink. And I said, you know, if I'd have known there was a limit, I'd have paced myself. And they everyone yeah, kind of last. It's a good perspective on it. So anyway, I reached my lifetime limit, Matt, in 19, in December of 1999. Haven't had a drink since. It's made all the difference in my life. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That was, that's been 13 years now that you haven't had a drink and congratulations for that. There are so many other stories like yours and success stories from people that have you know, been able to you know, keep this going. What makes this 12-step uh, process that AA has so effective? The first part is it's very human and it's very real, Matt. When you read the 12 traditions, not the 12 steps, but the 12 traditions of AA, they say things like, we will only be self-funding. We don't support any other causes. We hold everything in confidence that we do at these meetings. We will always be non-professional, meaning we won't have hired people that work here. We are simply alcoholics helping other alcoholics. So the first part of it is it's so real. You go to an AA meeting and there may be people there maybe checking it out. There may be people there who are part of, you know, Al-Anon, uh, you know, who are people helping alcoholics, but they themselves aren't alcoholic. But mostly at most meetings, particularly the one they call closed meetings, closed meetings, you have to be 
an alcoholic and say you're alcoholic and you'd be on in the 12-step program. But they have open meetings. But my point is the people there are real. They're dealing with this. They're either, they either have dealt with it. They're like me, 13 years of sobriety, or some of them have 20, 25 years, or maybe one year. And some are, are relapsing. They're coming back through. They're fighting it again. But they're reaching out to each other and helping. And so first of all, the thing to understand is it's real. It's human. It's caring. It's a wonderful support group. And it's not bureaucratic. Okay, it's real. You can go to a meeting anywhere and and you will be touched at what goes on at that meeting. The second thing is these people who put this program together back in the 1930s, the 1920s and 1930s, they knew that alcoholism was a problem. If you were addicted to alcohol, letting go of it was not an easy thing to do. In fact, they had tried to do it again and again and again. So the second thing that's true about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's real. It's realistic. It knows this is not an easy thing, and it's a lifelong thing. I mean, that's why it's you know, your first, the first little chip you get at the meeting is the one day at a time. It's just you're going to go one day at a time and not, not drink for just one day. That's your only promise to yourself. And then you get a chip for once you've done a month and then two months. And getting these chips in this reward system is honored. But what they understood as they talked with each other and they learned from each other and what worked and what didn't, what they learned was there's a 12-step process. Now, that 12 steps has been now duplicated and used for Gambling Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and Procrastinators Anonymous and a bunch of other things. Maybe we'll talk a little bit later about other addictions. But the fundamental core of it, because it's actually so widespread, is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and here's the power, Matt. The 12 steps lead you through a thought process personally, just personally, that helps you get a grip on what you're dealing with. So the first thing it helps you do is be honest with yourself. Second thing it does, it says there is something you can do to get rid of this addiction. And that thing is a spiritual step. That's the third part that makes Alcoholics Anonymous so powerful. It's a spiritual organization. And I don't mean religious. There's no religious. There's no rituals. There's no belief systems, all that stuff. But what there is is a deep, deep belief in what is called God. God as you understand him. In other words, not not some defined, not somebody defined by someone else, but as you realize them. And another word they use a lot in AA is your higher power. The sense that there is a higher sense of you, where you came from, how you were created in your DNA, that if you will just turn your life over to that and stop trying to orchestrate everything and be the actor and be the pretender and be the hero and all that stuff. If you can let go of all of that and just turn your will and your life over to God and ask God to remove this addiction from you, if you do that sincerely, it will be removed. And that is my deep experience of it. Now, there's steps beyond that that just make this real. And the first is that you really, really face and admit how you have screwed up, where you've made mistakes, who you've hurt, your defects of character, and you write them down and you share them with yourself, as it says, with your God and with another human being. So you have a sponsor or someone, you can pick whoever you want, and you sit down with them and you go through this entire list you've made of your wrongdoings. And I will tell you, that is a cleansing process. I mean, the Catholic Church has known for years that confession is very good for the spiritual soul. But in a sense, some of I know some people who've done that say it gets a little mechanical. Uh, this is a very in-depth process. And in that, you cleanse yourself. And then as best you can, you go back and try and make amends with people who've hurt. You don't have to if it embarrasses them or it's going to you know make things worse. But if you can, 
you go back and you make amends. And then, of course, you commit to helping other alcoholics relieve themselves and find this path. The final thing I would just say, Matt, is it's a well-developed experiential process. Every one of these 12 steps has been tested has been lived. There's a wisdom underneath it. There's a book they call the big book, which is this, the book from Alcoholics Anonymous, where they go through and they describe each step and why this step's important and how difficult it might be, but why you need to do it and what they learned when they didn't do it and those sorts of things. So I would just say, Matt, the whole process, its origins, the nature of the people who go to it, its lack of bureaucracy and professionalism, the fact that it is spiritually based and that the 12 steps are tested and clear is what makes it so effective. So we're starting to get to the end here. Two questions I want to wrap up on. First off, what has this done for you personally in your life? It has freed me up, Matt. I have been more authentic. I have been more at ease. Uh, I particularly related it in my teaching and speaking. I always used to care so much what other people thought. And I would I would worry about that. And I would try and orchestrate it. And I'd try and win my audience over and all of these kind of things. And what happened was that my whole teaching, my whole anytime I would teach, and I'm I'm meant to be a teacher, all of my teaching now became authentically me. I wasn't trying to pretend I was somebody I wasn't. If I made a mistake, oh, well, I made a mistake. If somebody in the audience didn't like it, oh, well, they didn't like it. That's their right. I didn't take that personally. And so I became freer, more open, more creative. And I really felt that. And I always before I go into a training session or a speaking session, I say a prayer to my God. And I say, please let me deliver what this audience needs to hear. Let it come through me authentically. Let me be open and real. Let the best wisdom I have be channeled through me. And when I get up in front of a group now, anytime, Matt, I just, I share my truth and I share the truth that's coming through me and I never question it and I never second guess it and I never put it down. So that has been it. The other is that I think I've been much more honest with people when I didn't know something or I was struggling with something. I've admitted it more. I haven't tried to look so good. I haven't tried to win everybody's approval. Uh, I still have these old instincts None of this all goes away. That's why you stay engaged in this process in an ongoing way. It has opened my life up, Matt, and I now do have a relationship with a higher power, with my God, that I didn't have before. If we personally know someone that maybe is going through an addiction or we're someone that maybe may realize that we maybe need help, how can someone who's addicted to drugs, alcohol, or overeating, what can they do? How can we help someone? Well, the hard part, those are two different questions. They, if they can fess up to the fact that they have an issue, just start there. I, I, I'm struggling, you know, just like that. If they will then open themselves up to go to a place, any of the 12-step places, if it's alcohol there, if it's narcotics there, if it's gambling there, just go and just open yourself up to the possibility that this may be a way to help you. You can't pre-sell someone on this, man. And people who don't deal with the issue, it's hard for them. You know, it's hard for family members who know and can see the detrimental self-undermining behavior that's going on with an addict, a child who's involved in experimenting with drugs or narcotics or a spouse or a friend, you know, who's involved in alcohol. It's not easy to do. But what I, what I would just tell you is two things I would do. One is be encouraging to them, confront their behavior, not in a judgmental way that says, you know, you passed out last night. Is that helping you? You know, you haven't been to work half the days in the last two weeks. Is that 
Is that going to, are you going to be able to keep your job? And they're going to get angry and you just let their anger, you just let their anger, don't get defensive with it. Just let their anger be there. Say, oh, wow, you sound angry. Uh, I was just making this comment because I care about you. It's caring. It's loving. It's that. And then it's suggesting as best you can. Is there any place you could go where you could maybe see if there's a way to help you with this? And then the other thing would be anyone you know who has dealt with that problem who has dealt with whatever it is, that addiction they're dealing with, let them intervene because they will be much more effective. People who are dealing, people who've been through the 12 steps, people who who are dealing with their own issues, particularly if it's very specific to that, like if it is gambling, it's other gamblers. If it's alcohol, it's other alcoholics. Engage them and ask if they'll talk to this friend or this employee. And, and then I'll say the final tough thing is, if it's an employee, if you have a supervisor relationship or almost like my, my counselor did for me, where she said, well, if you want to work with me, you're going to go to three meetings before we meet. You can say to an employee, you know, this isn't working out. You clearly are struggling with your alcohol or with your non-showing up at work or whatever. Here's the thing. For you to continue working here, you're going to need to go to three meetings and tell me what went on. Just put it on the line. If you have that relationship and you can, you could take something away if they don't do something. Now, that doesn't mean it'll, they'll automatically catch. I mean, it doesn't mean that. This is not a magical program. It has wondrous outcomes. Probably if you looked at it compared to any other uh, dealing with human uh, afflictions, it would be miraculous. It would, it would be considered miraculous, but it doesn't work in every case. Matt, there's one final thing that I would like to share. It's amazing if you're open to it where wisdom around you comes from. And I went after I had gone to my meeting where I declared I was an alcoholic. That was in December. And I lived a very lonely Thanksgiving weekend, mostly drinking and eating and watching football on Thanksgiving weekend. And that was part of my void and my angst. And so I decided at Christmas time to visit my younger, my youngest son and his wife. And then they had one child at the time. And I went and, and visited and they just, of course, welcomed me at Christmas time, which was just a week after I had made this decision. And I shared it with them. And I shared that how, what, what a difficult time it was for me to go to this and to admit it. And my son looked at me and he said this. I want everyone to remember this, maybe even write it down. He said, isn't God wonderful? He gives us the bread of adversity and the water of affliction so we can grow. And I went, Wow out of the mouths of babes. My son teaching me that this affliction that I was overcoming, the adversity in my life, was really the bread and water from God so that I could grow to be the fullest human being I could be. That's the wisdom. Very powerful words, Mr. Jenks. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Matt. For more information about Dave, maybe you want to hear his audio ebook, other podcasts, and more knowledge from Dave, you can go to freeenterprisewarriors.com. It's all there. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. I'm Matt Hayes. Onward.